0: Uh, The foundation is this. We all base our life and our actions and our decisions on the hope that we're going to live until we're 85 or 90 years old. Um, The way we treat people, the amount of time we spend with our spouse and our children is based on this subconscious thought that we're going to be here for um, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. When people offend us, the level to which we forgive, the the, the, the amount of time it takes us to let it go is dependent on the fact that we think we're going to be here tomorrow. I mean, if someone offended you today and you knew you were dying tonight, you know you'd forgive them quick. But we think, hey, I'll be here tomorrow, I'll be here the next day. The way we spend money, the way we treat people, the way we work, our work ethic is dependent upon the fact that we think, well, I'm going to keep being excellent at work, maybe I'll get promoted and then I can retire. We think we're all going to be able to retire. We think we're all going to be here till we're 90 years old. The truth is, every one of us in this room are going to live long past 90 years old. We're going to live for all of eternity. That's why it's very important we realize that this life and how we treat people, how we spend money, how we work, our um, our, our decisions on this life affect. What heaven is like for all of eternity for us. We all are going to face two judgments. The first judgment is the judgment of faith, heaven or hell. The second is the judgment seat of Christ. What is heaven going to be like for you? How much reward will you have stored up? How many treasures in heaven will you have stored up? What will your house be like? What what level will God allow you to serve, not just for 20 or 30 years, but for millennia after millennia after millennia after millennia is all dependent on how well you serve your local church body and so forth here. Okay, we read that all through this. Scriptures. Last week we talked about be productive because our time is very, very limited. Today I want to talk to you about be real. Be real. This is a very, very important thing to understand. I'm going to explain it um, for those of us that are preparing to live for all of eternity in heaven. One of the biggest wastes of times here on earth is being a hypocrite, it affects your eternal rewards. A hypocrite is somebody that acts one way but then has something totally different going on on the inside. They can shake your hand, but in their head they're thinking, I really don't like you. I hope I never see you again. They do good things, but they do it for the wrong reasons. They want people to think well of them. They have internal judgments towards people. They serve God. They worship God on the outside. They look really, really holy. But on the inside, they're thinking bad things about people. They're critical. They're negative on the inside. They think they're better than others. They love on the inside to bring up other people's faults because it makes them feel better about themselves. They put themselves on a pedestal, a religious pedestal, a pedestal at work. They treat people that speak different languages or from other countries a lot worse than they would someone else. And it's all based on this internal problem that they have going on in their heart. These things affect all of eternity. We all have an outer life. Our outer life is what we all see about each other. It's our public life. You can see what we say. You can see what people do. You can see how they spend their money. That's the outer life. The outer life affects the earthly life. In other words, you can do biblical things on the outside, and you can get by, and you can get some earthly rewards. The Bible says if you work diligently, then you, know, you can have money. The Bible talks about using um, financial wisdom. You do that, then you'll be able to retire and so forth. It talks about treating people good and being kind, and you can do these outward things, and you get earthly rewards for that. But if the inside is corroded, if you're doing those things for the wrong reasons, you have the wrong motives you have bad attitudes that nobody can see except for God, those things affect eternal life. Those things affect the rewards that you'll get or not get in heaven. Second Corinthians 5.10 says we must all, everybody say all. That means the person next to you, right? All, that means you too, right? Look at the person next to say, I am in all. Look at him and say, I am in all. I am in all. We Actually, look at him and say, you must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You little devil, you. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive his pay according to what he has done in his bodily life, both good and evil. Considering, here's the words we don't really want to talk about, his purpose and his motive, and what he has achieved and accomplished. Here's what this scripture is saying. God's going to call you up before everyone in heaven, and he's not just going to go over the list of everything that you did. He's going to go over why you did it, why you gave, why you served, why you led. What we do on earth is not nearly as important as why we do what it is we do. The people who Jesus got the most upset with, the ones that he butted heads with the most, were the religious people. They were called Pharisees. They were hypocrites. They did a lot of good things on the outside, but they never received a reward because they did it for the wrong reasons. Matthew 23, 27 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders and hypocrites. You're like whitewashed graves that appear beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones and death. They did a bunch of good things, don't get me wrong, they probably did more good things than most of us in here, but they didn't do it because they loved God. They went to church, but they didn't go to church to give and to build the body of Christ. They went to church so people would think well of them. They tithed off of everything. The Bible says they even gave 10% of even their mint and their garden things they grew, but they didn't give because they wanted to help people and care for people and, and help bless others. They gave so that people would see them. They'd feel better about themselves. They wore these long, fancy robes, and they said these loud, fancy prayers in front of people, not because they wanted God to heal people, not because they had a concern for people. They did it once again to put themselves up on a pedestal. All these good deeds they did year after year after year, and Jesus says they never got a reward because they did it for the wrong reasons. This is something that we have to do regularly. We have to regularly ask ourselves, why am I doing what it is I'm doing? Even as a pastor, I have to do this. We're not, none of us are um, uh, exempt from having to check our motives on a regular basis. Am I preaching today because it strokes my ego, because I like to stand in front of people, or am I preaching today because I have a desire to help people get closer to Jesus and, and have, a, have a way to communicate God's Word? Do I play the piano just to prove to everybody that hears that I'm way better than Mark? Or do I play the piano because I really like to worship God? What's the real reason? Matthew 6, 1 and 6 says, Don't do good deeds in order to be seen by men. Otherwise, you'll have no reward. Your Father, who knows what is done in private, will reward you openly. I want you to get a good visual of this. When you get to heaven, God is not going to line up all the believers and look at all of us and say, Y'all did good. And then you're at the very back and you say, What do you say you're friend says, he said he needs more wood. No, no, God's not doing it. God's going to call you by name. And you're going to come down that aisle and he's going to bring you up on this platform and everything that you did behind the scenes on earth, every time you gave... Every time you wrote a thank you card, every time you brought somebody food, every time you served in church, every time you were faithful and diligent and excellent, every time, every time you sang in the choir, every time you taught Sunday school, all of the things that you did for the right reason, he's going to reward you in front of all of heaven. One reward after another, after another. The Pharisees, they never got a reward. The good things, but not for the right reasons. The greatest question we can ask ourselves is this Why am I doing what it is I'm doing? Why do you serve? Why do you volunteer? Why do you lead? Why do you give? Why do you worship? Why do you get here early on Sunday morning to help? Why do you clean? Why do you encourage others? Why do you greet? Why is it that you're doing the things that it is you're doing? One of the saddest days of my life as a pastor was after about three or four years of having the church, we'd gone from the library to a storefront building, and we had a very, very small sound system. It only had just maybe two microphones with it. and So there was a lady that was helping us, an older woman, and she sang so well, and she started from maybe the first six months that we had the church for the next two years or so, And she would sing and she would lead and she would sing solo after solo all the time. She had a really good voice. But the whole point of a New Testament church in the book of Ephesians is to train and disciple and equip and build up. In other words, the goal of pastors is to find your passions, your gifts, your talents, help you develop them to build the kingdom of God. And so one day we told this lady, we said, you know, there's some other people that can sing and want to sing and we would love for you to sing in the choir today and we want to let someone else use this microphone and we'll rotate. You would have thought I'd asked her to sacrifice her firstborn child on an altar up on top of a mountain the way she acted afterwards. She just blew up, started ranting and raving. She ran into my office, and I didn't know what to do. I was 28, 29 years old, so I called some elders in there, and I'll never forget. We sat around. I said, what's the matter? I said, you can still worship God. You can still help me. And I said, we just want someone else to use the microphone. That's it. She pointed at me in front of everyone in that room and said, I will never sing in this church again If you don't let me sing on a microphone. When she said those words, it broke my heart. And here's why. I knew that she had spent decades serving in churches, singing. She had spent year after year after year developing her voice learning songs, showing up for church early, coming to practices during the week. On and on, I could have listed thousands and thousands of times that she did something good for the body of Christ. But when she said those words, I realized that all those good things she did, the only reward she ever received was what people thought about her on earth. The only reward she ever got was when someone said, you sang good today? It really blessed me to hear that song You're such a good worship leader. Those rewards was all she got year after year of coming to church early and singing songs and learning music. She could have had a bank account in heaven that was just overflowing, but she did it for the wrong reasons. And I don't want us in this room to go one more day not having treasures stored up in heaven because we're doing the right things but with impure motives on the inside. Any motive you find that is selfish, you'll never get an eternal reward for it. Um, I thought about this guy I know that lives out in the country and he has a, several barns. He lives on maybe a 20-acre piece of land and he's, uh, he loves to collect antique cars. He has motorcycles, trucks, cars all over You know, different times, different decades, different eras. His favorite vehicle of all is this old Ford pickup truck. He has it inside the barn, never brings it out into the sunlight. He washes it once a week, buffs it. There's not a scratch on it. I mean, on the outside, it looks immaculate. It's a beautiful vehicle. One day, he had some really rich guys come over to his property and looking at all of his, I guess, museum of cars. And one guy offered him more than twice the amount of money that he put into that Ford truck to buy it. The guy was like, sure, I'll sell it for that. He was so excited. The rich guy said, well, drive it out here and let let me take it for a drive or so, and they went to go crank up the car, and the thing wouldn't crank up. Try it again, it wouldn't even make a sound. They opened up the hood, and lo and behold, the engine was full of rust. He realized he hadn't changed the oil in years. It hadn't never been driven. On the outside, the car looked beautiful. It looked like it was worth 50000 $60,000. But once they opened up the hood and saw the engine, they realized the car was kind of worthless. Our heart is like the engine to a car. You can make the outside look so good. You can worship. You can give. You can smile. You can put very faith-filled things on Facebook. You can quote scripture. You can pray. You can say and do the right thing. But if your engine is corroded, if your oil has not been checked in years, you're never going to be able to get to the place that God's called you to get to in life. You're never going to be able to fulfill your God-given destiny. It's very important that we check our motives more often than we check the oil in our car. This really should be something we do every single week. Say, God, I think my heart's right. I think I'm doing this for the right reasons, but I need you to check and let me know. Are my thoughts lined up with your word? Am I worshiping because I love you? Am I giving because I want to build your kingdom? Yes, you know, people aren't thanking me. They're not congratulating me. My name might not be in the bulletin, but God, I'm not doing this for people. I'm doing this for you. Revelation 2.23 says, I am he who searches minds, the thoughts, feelings, and purposes in the inmost hearts, and I'll give each of you a reward according to what you have done. Notice, God wants to reward us according to all the things we did after he searches our thoughts, our feelings, our purposes, and our hearts to make sure we did it for the right reasons. A few years after we started the church, I started to get very confident in my speaking skills. The first two years, I would throw up before church, probably over 50% of the time, just out of nervousness. I never came out in the sanctuary of our church the first two years because I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to talk to them before church or after church. I was too embarrassed thinking my sermon wasn't going to be good. No one was going to listen. It was the worst stress you could ever imagine. After about two years, I started getting a little bit more confident. In fact, I remember the first two years, I never let anyone record me. I said, I don't want to make any CDs. I don't want any recordings at all. Once I started getting my confidence up, I let them put some things on the internet. We had like a a YouTube account or whatever. And this very well-to-do guy here in Horry County saw one of the videos and he thought I was the greatest speaker in the world. So he called me up. He said, listen, John Paul, I'm having this huge businessman conference. Three to 400 businessmen over there at the um, pier. What's that pier right over here called? The, nope, um, Spring made at the hotel there, having a big conference. And he said, I have men from all over the world, great speakers all over, internationally known, but I want you to speak in one of our 30 minute slots during the day. Man, I was 28 years old. I thought I was hot stuff. Man, I was so excited. I put together the most amazing 30-minute message. I couldn't use um, Bible references, but I could quote scripture, as long as I didn't say that it was in the Bible because it was a secular meeting. Man, I worked up this great message on you know, how to treat people that, you work, that work for you and on and on, and I was going to motivate them. And then I thought in my mind, well, you know what? If this goes really well, I could just quit pastoring, and they could just pay me to speak at all these Fortune 500 companies. That'll be great. The more I started building myself up, the more excited I got. I got a brand new suit, the nicest suit you could af- that I could afford at the time. I had the speech already. I get there and I realized as I was battling this and going through it that not once did I think I'm going to motivate them to get closer to Jesus. Not one time did I think maybe some of them will get saved or talk to me about church afterwards. All I wanted to do was build my kingdom with that opportunity. So I got to Spring Maid Pier, and the wealthy businessman that asked me to be a part of it, he met me downstairs and he was started to ramble on. He said, John Paul, I'm so sorry. The the wires got crossed. We thought this was a day for the and I, I couldn't even understand what he was saying because I was so excited and so looking forward to talking to three or four hundred businessmen and being asked to come to their companies and travel around the world. And we got up to the ho- we got up the elevator and we opened up to the where the conference room is, and there were three or four hundred chairs there. But there were four people in the room, and one of them was a waiter that was getting paid to be there, sitting at the back. I said, "What's going on?" He said, "Yeah, this was our off day. We got things messed up. I told you the wrong day. We already have it booked the other times. Can you just give your speech, you know, now?" And I thought, "Oh dear God! I had this whole thing worked out, and I was going to build this corporation." And all of a sudden, so I said in my 30-minute speech, and I got out to my car, ran as fast as I could, and um, I'll never forget putting my head on the steering wheel there at Spring Maid, and I said, God, I am so sorry. Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me for having a heart to take what you gave me and build my own kingdom rather than yours. Listen, doing the right thing with the wrong motives, you can pray, you can serve, you can give, you can lead, but you'll never see the results that God wants you to see in your life. In fact, it says in James 4, 3, when you pray, your prayers aren't even answered because your motives are bad. Again, why are you doing what it is you're doing? No one in this room is exempt from checking their heart on a regular basis. One time in John 21, Jesus' disciples were out fishing day and night. And Jesus showed up and he said to them in verse 5, children, have you caught anything? This is the only time I can find in the entire Bible where God, where Jesus referred to his grown men disciples as children. One translation says boys. I think that Jesus saw something on the inside that was immature. I think he saw something that they thought maybe they had been hiding for years. A mask they had put on, a religious outfit something that made them seem right on the outside, but on the inside, they had a bunch of issues that they were afraid to take to God. For whatever reason, Jesus saw something on the inside that reminded him of a child. He said, you're immature children. Have you caught anything? They responded and said, no, Jesus, we haven't caught a single thing. We've been here all night long, just a few little fish here and there. In verse six, Jesus said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat. They did that, and the boat was so full They couldn't even pull it up. The net was so full. The thing I want to liken this scripture to is this. Having the wrong motives is like fishing from the wrong side of the boat. Because you have a pole and a rope and a hook and some bait, because you're doing the right thing, you will catch something every now and then. But if you don't do it God's way, you're never going to have the abundance that you're supposed to have. You're not fishing off the right side of the boat. You say, well, you know, I sing in the choir, but nobody can hear me. Nobody can even see me where I stand. I go to Sunday school every week, and they've never asked me to teach a lesson. I volunteer here, volunteer there. Nobody's ever put my name in the bulletin. Nobody's ever written me a thank you card. Let me ask you this. Are you doing what you're doing to impress people? Or are you doing what you're doing because you love God? A mark of pure motives is when we're not looking for anything in return. First Corinthians 3 13 says the work of each one will become plainly known when the day day is capitalized because it's judgment day of Christ exposes it on that day fire will test character and quality of everyone's work. If any man's work survives this test, he'll get his reward. But if it's burnt up, he will lose everything. Everybody say everything. Y'all are quiet. Is this a good sermon? You're okay, right? Y'all aren't upset with me or anything like that. Well, I can't because of my motives. Um, So here's what this is saying here. One day, everything that you've done is going to be revealed. Every thank you card you wrote, every time you brought somebody food, every time you sang in the choir, every time you gave in the offering, every friendship you developed, every person that you helped. And every good thing that you did for the wrong reason will burn up and disintegrate. And you'll only receive a reward for the things you did with the right motives. Proverbs 16, 2 says, The ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord judges our motives. Here's what that's saying. We think our heart's pure. We've been buffing the outside of our car, making the outside look good. We think our engine's okay. We're sure that when somebody asks about it, we can drive that car out of the barn and everything's going to be fine. It's going to run smoothly but sometimes we get so focused on the outside we forget about the inside. Sometimes we've worn masks for so long it's become habitual for us to act a certain way and not even realize we're not doing it for the godly reasons. Sometimes we've done something for so long we forget to finally come to God and say, God, are my thoughts lining up with your word? God, am I here because I love you? Sometimes we've worn that mask for so long in front of so many people It just becomes easy to pretend. We don't talk about character anymore. We don't talk about integrity or motives or thoughts or attitudes. We talk about the outside. You have a mask for work, a mask for home, a mask for church. I know people that they threaten their spouse with divorce on the way to church. They turn around in the car and beat the snot out of their kid. They just sent their boss cuss words via text and they come in the church and the greeter says, how are you doing this? I'm blessed and highly favored of God. He's fighting my battles for me. I am anointed. No, you're angry. <laughs> you need help. You got something wrong on the inside. Don't ever come to church without saying, God, check my engine for me. Tell me what's going on on the inside. The last story I want to go over, and then I'll let you go, is this. It's about Zacchaeus. In the New Testament, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a very dishonest man. He treated people very poorly. But he was really, really good at what he did. It's very important that you realize he was good at being dishonest. He was good at being a fraud, at deceiving people. He was very, very wealthy. He made a good living off of what he did. In fact, um, he had stored up many earthly treasures where moth and rust destroy, like we talked about last. We had a bank account full. One day, Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to town. And he was very, very excited, but there was a huge problem. It says in Luke 19.3, Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. But having a disadvantage had never stopped Zacchaeus before. He always found a way to put himself above other people. He always found a way to get what he wanted to get. He knew how to manipulate the system. So in verse 4, it says he climbed up a sycamore tree. Listen, this wasn't easy. It took outside effort. He had to work hard, but eventually, just like every time before, he had placed himself in a position that gave him an advantage, and now he had the best view in the house as always. Zacchaeus wasn't just short physically. I need you to really understand this. Symbolically, you could say he always came up short. Symbolically, you could say that he always had a way to make up for his weaknesses. He lived as a fraud. He deceived people. Now he's up in a tree. He positioned himself as an, in an advantage once again. He was an expert at getting the upper hand. Zacchaeus cared more about position than he did people. He cared more about holding a microphone than he did worshiping God. He cared more about being seen in the bulletin than he did ushering behind the scenes. He cared more about somebody rewarding him openly than he did teaching the children in children's church. He cared more about the outside than he did the inside. And he was good at this. He was an expert at this. He always asked the question, what's in it for me? If I'm going to do this, how am I going to get an advantage in life? How am I going to gain? It was finally the big moment. Amidst thousands of people circling around Jesus, wanting to get his attention, Jesus ended up right under the sycamore tree. And all of a sudden, in verse 5, it says he looked up and said, Zacchaeus. And before we go any further, I want you to see something that blessed my heart greatly. They had never met before, yet Jesus knew his name Jesus bypassed all the people that had it together. And he knew personally the biggest sinner among the entire crowd. This shows us the heart of God. We think, if God knew what I was really thinking, if God knew about that secret sin, if God saw what I was like when I took my mask off, if God knew what it would be like for me if I just let him expose me, if God actually saw into my heart, surely he would walk in the opposite direction. Surely he would run from somebody like me. But nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus went immediately to the biggest deceiver among the entire crowd. He called Zacchaeus by name, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I want to go to your house today. Zacchaeus thought, how does this guy know me? I'm not a religious person. I look good up in this pedestal. Yeah, I place myself above everybody else, but this isn't who I really am. I spent my life cheating people. Jesus was saying, Zacchaeus, if you come down from that tree... I'll change your life. But if you continue to place yourself above others, making up for your weaknesses, wearing that mask, I can't do anything. But if you come down and take off the mask, man, I'll come into your life. I'll set you on a new path today. It says in the next scripture, verse 6, Zacchaeus hurried and came down and welcomed Jesus with great joy. Here's what I want to say. Maybe you've spent many years, maybe even a lifetime, putting yourself above other people. You've made yourself look impressive on the outside. You make your make sure you stay buffed, no scratches on you. On the outside, when you're up on that pedestal, I can be honest with you and tell you, it's safe up on the pedestal. You're not exposed. You don't have to get real. It's easy to leave on the mask and act like you're a perfect Christian. But sooner or later, if you're ever going to see any eternal rewards, you have to come down off the tree. You have to get off of that pedestal, take off your mask, and accept responsibility for what's going on on the inside. Zacchaeus did that very thing in verse 8. He told Jesus, I'm giving half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody, I'm giving back four times as much. Jesus said, today, salvation has come to your house. Facing the truth about ourselves can be very, very uncomfortable. We don't want to expose our heart to God. Safe thing, like I said, is to leave the mask on. I think about our heart is like a hotel with many, many rooms. And in some of those rooms, there's darkness. Some of those rooms are filled with greed or jealousy or pride, religious pride even. God's dream for our life is to bring light to every single room that's in our heart, the hotel of our heart. But the only way he's ever going to get into each room is if we invite him into those rooms, the doorknobs on the inside. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says the Lord brings to light the secret things that are hidden in darkness and exposes the motives of the heart. I guarantee you, if you will be willing, say, God, (laughs) I've been covering this up for years. I didn't even know it was in there until now. But I want you to come into every single room in my heart. And you have to do this regularly. It's not just today from this sermon, but on a regular basis. If you will invite Jesus into every room in your heart, I promise you, he already knows what's going on in there anyway. <laughs> he already knows the, the way you if you're a fraud. He already knows the way you manipulate. He already knows everything on the inside anyway. You might as well let him in there to heal it. If you do that, and if you'll check your motives on a regular basis, I can promise you, when you get to heaven, you will see eternal rewards that you couldn't even imagine would be there. But it's important that we do the right thing for the right reason. Amen?